Good afternoon. My name is Stephen McHugh. I'm a dyslexic, dyslexia and inclusion specialist, now a social entrepreneur. Uh, I've been asked by somebody to make a little vlog or blog or whatever they call it uh, about me and it's been left very open-ended, um, which um, can be a bit deadly for me because I can be a little bit long-winded. So what I thought I thought what I'd like to do is just talk about me in general, uh, my life, and um, my evolution from school to uh, where I am today. Now, if I think back to my school days, especially my young school days between four and eleven, um, I can say that I do remember liking school very much. I enjoyed it because you could be creative, it was fun, I had lots of friends, um, I liked doing the arty things, I liked doing the music things, um, and uh, in all in all, I think I really liked it. Um, unlike my home life, which was really a bit of a nightmare, um, my mum and dad's uh, marriage was uh, tempestuous, as they say, um, arguing, my dad was drinking, my mum used to go to bingo a lot, um, they both kept down jobs, they both brought in money, but somehow we were always broke. Um, I remember once uh, I got a hole in my trousers and we couldn't afford to buy a new pair of trousers, so uh, I didn't want to stay at home, so I sneaked out and went to school and can you imagine that at school sneaking out to school I must have been about nine years old I think ten years old um, I do remember at school struggling with writing handwriting um, I couldn't get the joined up writing bit right it was always it always felt like I was pushing something with my hand over gravel um, I couldn't join the letters and um, it was a bit of a nightmare, especially when I'd look around, around the classroom and see other kids seemingly skating on their paper like, like ballet dance, like um, ice skaters, like, you know, writing was flowing beautifully. Um, so then when I got to 11, we went to uh, secondary school. And again, to begin with, I liked secondary school. Uh, I made lots of friends. Again, I liked doing music. I liked doing art. I liked doing commerce and history. God knows why, but I did like doing that. And RE, which is called religious instruction. And I think I liked RE because there was a lot of debating and a lot of talking. Um, and then I got to about 14. And I think what with everything that was going on at home, and what with the problems I was having at school with not being able to pass exams, not being able to write um, joined up and not being able to write assignments within a classroom environment. I think basically I got bored with it and I got tired of it. And so from about 14 years old, I basically stopped going. And it was easy to do so because uh, my parents weren't home and um, the school didn't really, I don't remember the school chasing us up all the time. Um, and so what I did was I stopped going to school and I started working. 
I wasn't old enough to work, but I started working. I remember one of the old first jobs I got was as a tree surgeon, and basically that involved um, scooting around underneath trees where branches and twigs were being lopped off by people with um, chainsaws and clearing up the rubbish, which uh, was fun and probably dangerous. Um, I, I, my, I seem to remember we were all bundled in the back of a, a Land Rover and just driven somewhere and then we did some work and then we all bundled back into a Land Rover and we were kind of um, driven back home and for that I got the princely sum, I think it was £5 a day which in those days was a bloody fortune. Um, when I got to 16, it was time to leave school for real. Um, I did take exams, I remember. I don't even know if I passed any um, because when the letter came with my results in, I didn't even open it. I tore it up, got rid of it. Um, and of course, my parents weren't interested. I just said I didn't pass anything. And uh, that was me in the big wide world of work and out of school. And it was easy enough in those days to find uh, employment. Um, I worked in a builder's yard. I drove forklift trucks. Um, I did painting fences. I did whatever I could do. Um, the issue for me was that I'd be working. Somebody would say, look, you're a very smart guy. Why don't you come and work in the office? And they'd go in the office and I would crash and burn quite spectacularly because I just couldn't cope with the way people work, the way offices worked in, in those days. Um, around the same time, maybe 16, 17, 18, I fell in with some guys uh, who, who'd all been to university. They were all very smart guys. And uh, we became friends and um, we started a band and it got me started in a kind of career in music as a bassist and a guitarist. And um, so it was quite fun. I, you know, I could go away for six months with these guys, do music and then come back and get a job. Um, I remember when I was about 34, something like that, I even started, you know, one of the jobs that I got was working as a school caretaker, which I really liked. It gave me the freedom to, uh, you know, practice my guitar, get people in to have fun when the school or the college was closed I was working at and, and we could just jam peace and quiet. When I got to be about 35 I decided that I wanted to go back to school. I thought I'd had enough of this uh, and I wanted to do something so I went back and I went back to school first by taking kind of like entry level stuff, entry level English, entry level maths, um, GCSE English I think um, and to my amazement, with the help of the people that I were in my class, because we were all from the same kind of background, working class, struggled at school, with, to my amazement, I found out that I could do things academically. And so I finished that year and decided that what I was going to do was leave work altogether and um, go into full-time education. I managed to secure some funds from the Diocese of Southwark to take um, a qualification called Access to Education 
and that was um, an exam. It was a qualification where you did a number of different subjects from psychology to again maths uh, to history, all at O level and A level kind of um, level. And um, if you managed to pass all the exams from that, then you got automatic entry into university, which again, to my amazement, I found I did. I have to say, the people that I was on the course with, they were really fab, I really enjoyed that very much. We would all go in on the holidays and work together. Um, and we all supported each other quite, you know, quite a lot. Um, I then went to uni and uh, I studied a BSc in geography and I did uh, a year of politics as well in my first year as what they call an elective. I just did it so it wouldn't be all geography for that one year. To my amazement I got straight A's for politics and I absolutely hate politics and politicians. God knows how I managed to do that. It was in my second year of university that I found out that I was dyslexic. Um, somebody just mentioned going along to um, the support place and I was given an assessment. Um, not exactly an easy thing because the assessments are crazy. They, they, they do all these things that you know you're bad at and then they say, oh yes, you're bad at these things and you're dyslexic. Uh, and it, but at the end of it, I felt like I'd been beaten around the head with a big stick with all this testing. But on the plus side, I got given disabled students allowance, which enabled me to get a computer and access ability software. And um, that really helped me with my university. Um, Around that same time, I started doing volunteering for an organisation called the East London Connection. And basically what that entailed was going into schools and acting as mentor to um, students, uh, young people who were themselves struggling at school. And I think basically we were an extra pair of hands in, in the classroom for the teachers. We got a bit of work experience and it was, you know, Fab. So at the end of that, that kind of gave me an interest in teaching. Um, and so I went and did what they call a PGCE, a Postgraduate Certificate in Education. And I, from my experience at the, at the, at the East London Connection, I decided to choose inclusive education. Inclusion really interested me. My own experience the experience of working with the kids in the schools that I worked at. And I went up to Bolton to do that, Bolton Institute. Um, funny story there was that um, I originally wanted to get into Greenwich University to do it. I didn't get in, so that meant Bolton. And then I met a guy from Bolton who wanted to do the same course. He couldn't get into Bolton and he ended up in Greenwich. And uh, so I think <laughs> it was a bit crazy. Um, so I got my degree, I got my PGC and I started teaching and um, I started working in, I, had to, I think I worked in about four or five colleges um, on an hourly basis, uh, which I loved the teaching. The paperwork was a nightmare dealing with all the pays and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then um, 
because of my own interest in dyslexia, I went and became a dyslexia specialist. And from becoming a dyslexia specialist, I then uh, ran a dyslexia department in a college. And I did that for seven, eight years. During that time, I um, ran, developed and ran a couple of projects, including one called Breaking the Barriers of Dyslexia. Um, at the college, actually ever since I've been assessed, I've been very positive about being dyslexic. And, um, you know, when I went and got the job, um, there was no real dyslexia department to think of. Teachers, dyslexia teachers were arranging meetings with students ad hoc. Um, they had to find their own room and their own classroom. And it was all very kind of not good enough. And so um, it was good in a way because um, the college gave me my, my head and let me create a department, which was really cool. I got a room for dyslexia teachers in each one of the sites. So we now had somewhere where the teaching could take place and we kind of got ourselves into a proper team. Anyway, during my time there, I went to every department. I talked to any teacher who'd listen. And uh, what I discovered was that there were many teachers who thought they were or knew they were dyslexic, but they weren't telling anybody and they weren't because they were concerned that it might impact on their careers. And also there were other staff who were non-teaching. So I put this project together. I went to the, I went to the um, principal and um, I said to them, look, this is what I want to do. And the basic idea was to um, secure funding so that we could provide a dyslexia screening free across the colleges. And we could also then um, provide assessment and then training in dyslexia friendly work practices and also enable teachers to apply for access to work funding. And um, so we secured 50,000, or I secured 50,000 pounds. I don't think the college itself actually thought I'd get the money, but um, I wrote this great big funding bid, you know, like Leonardo da Vinci's Sistine Chapel. I really spent a lot of time on this. And um, we got £50,000, I found a teacher, another dyslexia specialist teacher to run it. And in the end, we, I think we screened three, four, five hundred people. And during the, the life of the project was about four months. We did about 24, 25 assessments. And it was a really successful project. One of these days, I've got the report still, one of these days I'll... I'll publish the report, but I think that kind of is a model that should be followed by any educational uh, establishment, because if we're ever going to um, move dyslexia and neurodiversity and, dis and disability out of the stone age that it's in now, um, we need to be doing things like that. We need to have teachers who are trained to teach us we need them to be using we need them to have experience of dyslexia in terms of life experience and um, things need to change because we are still in the stone age things are getting better there are the odd school that 
does really good. There are some really good teachers out there, but they're, you know, basically I think the issue for me is that um, I did some research not so long ago, only a small bit on when dyslexics were being assessed. And I found out that um, of all the dyslexic adults who took part in this research, only 19% were assessed at school. So that means there's a hell of a lot of kids going through school unassessed. Their needs not being met. And as a result, you've only got to look at what's going on in our prisons. There is research that suggests that over 50% of people in our prisons, people in prison cells, are dyslexic. Um, and that's a waste of their lives, I think. I think we have to remember that... Um, Many of us leave school with low self-esteem, low self-confidence, can long lifelong mental health problems, and um, no qualifications or very low qualifications. And so, you know, what do we expect people to do? I mean, I, I don't, I don't condone it, but you know, kids start running in gangs, kids start getting into trouble, kids make wrong choices. It also doesn't help that I don't think our justice system is very dyslexia friendly. Anyway, in about 2008, I'd um, worn myself out, basically. Um, I decided to leave education. I moved back to my home country, Scotland, and um, I wanted to do something different, a new challenge. And so I thought I'd like to start up an organisation of my own. And um, I didn't want to be a charity. I didn't want to be um, a, a, like a, an organisation organisation. I wanted to be something, I wanted to do something different. And I kind of, if I think about my inclusion training, we talk about a social model of disability. So I kind of found out there was a social model of dyslexia. I also found out there was social enterprise out there and. That's what my organisation is, Dyslexia Pathways Community Interest Company. We're a social enterprise and I kind of put the two together. And so um, if we think about social enterprise, it means that I can be an organisation. It means that I must have social aims and all my social aims revolve around dyslexia and neurodiversity. We are, have to be non-profit and, um, you know, these things were important to me. Um, we also, if we think about social model of dyslexia, if we think about it in terms of different models, there is, um, there is the medical model of dyslexia, which basically says that we are broken, there's something wrong with us. Um, our minds are not wired correctly. We're not normal in some way, basically. And we talk about the social model, and the social model says that um, dyslexia talks about dyslexia in terms of diversity it talks about difference and um, from my experience of working with dyslexics in the colleges that I was working in that's what I kind of saw we weren't disabled what was disabling us was our education system so I went back to my own experience of um, education and I got to thinking about when the difference between me as studying before I was assessed and the difference between me after I was assessed.
So, uh, and, and the difference was marked, you know, the, get, just getting access to a computer keyboard was, was, was so liberating for me. You know, that was my assistive technology. So I've been running my, my social enterprise. Here, look. Dyslexia, oh, Dyslexia Pathways Community Interest Company, now for eight years. The Dyslexia Pathways concentrates on uh, training and academic, so I've supported untold number of students at university uh, here in Scotland, at universities here in Scotland, and I provided dyslexia awareness training to many organisations up here. As well as Dyslexia Pathways, I have Unique Dyslexic, which was a project I did that concentrates on dyslexia and neurodiversity and creativity. Uh, I wanted to do something that was away from literacy. I wanted to do something that would get us out into the community getting dyslexics together, having fun, sharing conversations, sharing experiences. Um, I think if you look at, uh, I'm going to go back to the mental health and the self-esteem and the confidence, and if you have a lifetime of failing at literacy-based um, tasks that require literacy-based things to do, uh, and you continually fail at them, then um, if I was going to run a project that focused on that, then maybe I wouldn't reach the people I wanted to reach. And so um, we found some funding from the lottery and various other organisations. And my, uh, or our directors put together Unique Dyslexic. And the idea was that we ran five creative workshops um, across five. We um, put together the unique dyslexic website, which I designed to try and be as dyslexia friendly as possible. Um, and um, we got people together. And, and for some, it was the first time they talked about being dyslexic to somebody else. And for some, it was the first time they'd knowingly been in another room with another dyslexic, which kind of gave me the idea for another thing. Um, we also then went on and did the exhibition type thing, which was really fab. Um, we hired the Rothis Halls, which is a big kind of venue where I live in Glenrothes. We showcased, we, we did this kind of, um, showcased the artwork, the work that students did. We got dyslexic artists sharing their work from across the world. We, we exhibition, you know, we did an exhibition of that. We got Scottish creative people coming in. We had Anita Govan. She's the like the at the time she was the poet Macar of Stirling, and a Macar is like the poet laureate. And she's dyslexic herself. She's a fab poet. Um, it was a really really good day. Um, so I think I'm just going to say that maybe about. 18 months ago I had two heart attacks um, so I had to take a few months off, a good few months off with no income whatsoever and now I am endeavouring to get back to where I was with Dyslexia Pathways and Unique Dyslexic. Um, I'm in the middle of trying to write a business plan which is 
Oh, going slow, slow, very, very slow. I've got a mentor, but it's still a lot of work that I have to do, especially since um, we lost a couple of directors to ill health. And uh, so if anyone's out there who wants to give us a real hand with helping me uh, get dyslexia pathways and our unique dyslexic thing going again, um, then, you know, give me a tinkle. Okay, thanks very much for listening. I don't know, I've no idea how long this went on for. I've just sat down unscripted and um, gone through this whole thing. I'm not sure if I showed you the unique dyslexic thing. Again, something I designed. We say viva la difference. Dyslexia is a difference that reflects diversity. Viva la difference, because dyslexics and being dyslexics can be fab. It can be a nightmare, but it can be fab. Thanks very much. You've been fighting, cat.